Okay, week 11 of the 2020 NFL football season officially in the books. Monday Night Football last night, Rams 27, Buccaneers 24. Tom Brady played like absolute shit last night. No other way to say it. Over here in the Deion Gordon podcast, we practice authenticity, genuine conversation, no bullshit allowed on this podcast. Even if I like you. Tom Brady is my favorite football player, maybe ever. Anyone who knows me knows how much of a Brady fan I am. But when you don't play well, when you don't play up the standard, it has to be and it will be called out. Brady last night was fucking terrible. 26 of 48, 216, 4.5 yards in attempt. One for 15. On, one for 18, I'm sorry. On passes where the ball traveled more than 15 yards in the air. One for 18 on passes where the ball traveled more than 15 yards in the air. That's unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. With the amount of weapons he has around him, completely unacceptable to play like that. And some of that, a lot of that's on the pass rush getting to him. Brady's always been a statue. His, his kryptonite's always been a rush up the middle. Look at those two Super Bowl losses versus the Giants. Look at the the loss versus the Eagles. I mean, he threw for 500 yards in that game, but he was befuddled at times by the rush getting to him. Brady's never been a quarterback known for his movement, for his running ability, but if you get, with that being said, if you get pressure on him, he will struggle. And the four losses the Buccaneers have had this season, the common denominator has been pressure generated by the other team's front seven. The Saints did it to him twice. The Bears did it to him in that Thursday night game. Khalil Mack was just destroying this man single-handedly. And then last night, you saw it with the Rams. That front seven got there repeatedly throughout the night, put pressure on Brady, and he wasn't up to snuff last night. Two stupid-looking interceptions. Playing catch with Jordan Fuller. Jordan Fuller plays from the Rams. Safety. Rookie out of Ohio State. Um, some of that, it's on Brady. Some of that's on Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich calling plays. Um, to me, the Buccaneers are trying to play a style of football that Brady at 43 really can't play right now. A lot of shotgun formations, empty backs, empty set, um, four or five receivers. They need, to, they need to copy and paste what New England was doing in 2018. They need to go 21 personnel, eye formation, power running, establish the run early and stick with it throughout the game. Ronald Jones... Leonard Fournette last night were ghosts. They both averaged two point yards a carry. I think, uh, yeah, Ronald Jones had two, 10 carries, 24 yards. So that equals out to 2.4 yards a carry. So the running game was non existent. Brady has no business at this stage in the game throwing it 48 times. He's 43. I think he's still one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, but he has no business with 48 pass attempts in the game. The Buccaneers are not going to win with Tom Brady having that many pass attempts. Um, that was an incomplete performance. The running game has to get established to support Brady at this, at this juncture of his career. He's not on the level anymore to carry a football team single-handedly. And this is on the heels of throwing for three touchdown passes and no picks last week. Buccaneers are up and down. They go out to Vegas, they destroy the Raiders. Follow that up by getting cleaned up by the New Orleans Saints. Go down to Carolina and wipe them out. Put up 46 in that game. Come at this game, struggle to get 24 and lose. So they're kind of an up and down, Jekyll and Hyde team. I think they're right where they are, right where they're probably going to finish. This is a team that also hasn't had a bye week yet. 
Tampa Bay will play Kansas City this week. And then finally, after their bye week, they're week 13. But definitely no easy task going against the Chiefs. Um, you know, with that suspect secondary that Tampa Bay has, you give up big plays to Cooper Cup, Robert Woods last night, who combined for over 275 yards receiving. Jared Goff, a lot of dink and dunk passes, screen passes, bubble screens, things of that nature. A lot of yak last night, making him look better. He also had two idiotic interceptions last night. He got picked off on one of those screen passes trying to go. He got picked off by Jason Pierre-Paul. Jason Pierre-Paul has seven fingers. How the fuck do you throw a pick to him on a screen pass, no less? So it wasn't like he was perfect. He had 51 pass attempts last night. Um, and, but the Rams won. So give credit to them. Uh, most of the talk today is about Brady and how shitty he was last night. People love to see Brady fail. People revel in Brady's fuck-ups and failures. They made a big fuss after the game about him not shaking hands with Jared Goff. He did the same thing a couple of weeks ago to Nick Foles. I personally could care less. Number one, we're in a time of COVID. You, know, you shouldn't be shaking hands with people. Keep your germs to yourself. Brady's just being extra clean about him. He's 43. You know, The talk is older people are more susceptible to catching COVID. So he's just looking out for himself. That's why he didn't shake hands with Goff last night. Um, I'm more concerned about his pitiful play. I'm more concerned about him overthrowing receivers, him making the wrong reads on a lot of plays. He tried to hit Godwin on a post. Like I said, Jordan Fuller sitting right there like he wasn't open. A lot of deep... Arians' offense is always going to have a lot of deep shots, but Brady at this point in his career, the numbers speak for themselves. Like I said, one for 18 on throws more than 15 yards in the air. He's been struggling with that the past couple of weeks. You've got to get those short and intermediate throws. People call it dinking and dunking. I call it game managing, moving the chains, and keeping your defense off the field. He does that better than anybody else. Play to your quarterback's strengths. Stop trying to force Brady to be something that he's not. At this stage of his career, he's 43. Just let him be a game manager. It can work. It has worked all season. The guy's still throwing for 25 touchdowns this season and nine interceptions. As one, he's already thrown one more touchdown this year than he threw all last year in New England. So all hope is not lost if you're a Buccaneer fan. But you, if, you're, if you are a Buccaneer fan, you've got to be discouraged by the fact that when you guys step up in weight class, you usually get knocked out. I see the Buccaneers making the playoffs. There's an extra playoff berth this season. Uh, it was me seven teams made the playoffs per conference this year. And as of right now, as of right now, the Bucks are in it. So I see them making the playoffs. Depending on who they draw will, will influence how far they go in the playoffs. Uh, they can match up against Philly in the first round. That's a winnable game, even though it's going to be in cold weather. Uh, even though, you know, whoever wins that NFC least will probably be 6-10, and 7-9. They'll still host a playoff game. All those teams except Dallas playing cold weather. So if you're Tampa, you're more than likely going to go on the, on the road. You will go on the road, and you play against a team that plays outdoors in the cold. But I still think Tampa can beat whoever wins that sorry-ass division. If you're going to somehow navigate through the playoffs and avoid New Orleans and the Rams, who knows, the Bucs can make a run. They did mollywop Green Bay earlier this season. I'll talk about them in a little bit. I don't believe in the Green Bay Packers. I'll say that right now. Uh, choked away a 28-14 lead against Indianapolis and lost this weekend. I I don't I never believed in Green Bay at all this season. Uh, but Tampa Bay definitely issues to clean up. Offensive line, secondary, got to get that shit right. And for Brady, week 13 can't come fast enough. I think look look how Brady plays after the bye week. I'll be interested to see that. So uh, once again, embarrassing performance last night for Tom Brady. 
No bullshit over here on the Deion Gordon podcast. If I like you, I'll still call you out. Tom Brady was fucking garbage last night. Doesn't mean he can't get better. Doesn't mean he's been garbage all season. But last night and two weeks ago against the Saints, it was absolutely abysmal, pure shit from Tom Brady. Let's move on to the next game. Let's talk real quick about Baltimore and Tennessee. Tennessee 30, Baltimore 24. Before the game even started, they're about to get a shaking on the 50-yard line. That crest in the midfield in M&T Bank Stadium, Malcolm Butler, and a few other cats on Tennessee basically trying to make a mockery out of the Baltimore Ravens, dancing, celebrating before the game even started. Midfield, uh, Ravens coach John Harbaugh came out there to confront him. Words were exchanged before and after the game. Mike Vrabel and John Harbaugh in a tense moment after the game. Tennessee comes out, comes out with the win. That was a big game. That was two six and three teams going at it. Now Tennessee seven and three. Baltimore six and four. Baltimore's fading fast. They have no real signature wins in the season other than Indianapolis. Other than that, they lost to Pittsburgh. Got destroyed by Kansas City on the Monday night game. They beat Cleveland, but that was the first game in the year. That seems like ages ago. Baltimore needs a big win, and they got an opportunity this Thursday, Thanksgiving, versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a game Baltimore. That's a must-win situation for the Ravens. They got to win that game on Thursday. Not only to keep pace. I mean, the division's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Pittsburgh's going to win it. They're 10-0 right now. Um, especially if, if Pittsburgh wins on Thursday, that will pretty much wrap it up. Uh, Pittsburgh also has a win over Cleveland earlier this year. So the division's pretty much a foregone conclusion for Baltimore. But they got to keep pace in the playoff uh, seedings for the rest of the, for the, rest of the playoff burbs. Six and four right now. Lamar, other than Mark Andrews, the tight end, Lamar has no weapons to throw to. You're talking about guys like Willie Sneed. Des Bryant caught passes this weekend. Des Bryant and Jason Witten both caught passes this weekend in the NFL. What year is this? Is it 2020 or 2014? Jason Witten playing for the Las Vegas Raiders. Des Bryant playing for the Baltimore Ravens. That just shows you the, how dire the situation is for Baltimore at the receiver position. They had to go out and get Des Bryant, sign him to the practice squad, and elevate him to the main roster because they have nothing at the receiver position. Marquise Hollywood Brown doing a lot of talking all season long, especially on Twitter, about his lack of targets, about he's not getting the ball. I mean, the guy had zero catches, zero catches in this game versus Tennessee. He contributed nothing. He was targeted four times, zero catches for obviously zero yards. Greg Roman's play calling, zero imagination to it. You got a guy like Marquise Brown, at least get the ball to him like some jet sweeps, end of rounds, reverses. Get a bubble screen to him. The guy's a first-round pick. He has talent. He can run all day. The guy's got 4-3 speed, 4-4 speed. You drafted this guy to be a first-round pick. And he's not getting the football. Some of that's his fault. He doesn't run aggressive routes. Um, he's a little timid on the football field, a little scared to go across the middle and run out of bounds unprovoked. So some of that's on him, some of that's on the play calling. But they got a mess of a situation in Baltimore. They're not, you know, they're not surprising people anymore like they were last season. Not getting as many yards per game. The running game isn't as strong. J.K. Dobbins doing a pretty good job. But overall, definitely not mauling people up front like they were last season. You know, Ronnie Stanley being out for the season has a lot to do with that. Uh, starting left tackle out of Notre Dame. But Baltimore's got some issues, and they're fading fast. And that's a team, they fuck around. They could miss the playoffs. 
Cleveland playing better than expected. Once again, there's seven teams that don't get in. So right now, Kansas City be your one. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh will be your one seed. Kansas City will be your two seed. Um, that takes care of the AFC North and the AFC West. It's the guy either Buffalo or Miami is going to win the AFC East, and then Indianapolis in the driver's seat. When Indianapolis or Tennessee can win the AFC South, both those teams will probably make the playoffs. So you have four division winners. One of those teams will get in. That's five. Cleveland and Baltimore, I see a path for them to get in, but Baltimore's got some issues they got to clean up. You got to score more points. You got to get more production in the receiver position. I don't know where they're going to find in that because if, you, if you're making desperate moves like bringing in Des Bryant, like I said, that shows you have no receivers whatsoever. You have nothing at the skill positions other than Mark Andrews, a tight end. And they still can't tackle Derrick Henry or A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown just bulldozed his way into the end zone. He took Patrick Queen for a ride. Queen's looking like a bust so far. First-round pick at the LSU. He's not looking good at all this season. And watching this play, Marlon Humphrey, Patrick Queen, a few other guys. A.J. missed his catch like about the five-yard line. Just takes three or four guys with him a couple of yards and just literally pushes Patrick Queen into the end zone. That, that one play right there sums up what Queen's been doing all season, which is pretty much nothing. Man, J. Brown just moving people out the way. And Derrick Henry in overtime with the walk-off touchdown run. Tennessee owns Baltimore. That stadium, you know, M&T, the T stands for Tennessee. And they run shit in Baltimore right now. That's, that's the team. They also knocked them out of the playoffs last January. You know, it's funny because back in the day, Baltimore used to own Tennessee with Ray Lewis and Eddie George going at it all the time. Now the tables have turned with Tennessee's taking complete control of this rivalry. Uh, so Tennessee with the big win, 30-24. They go to 7-3. Baltimore slips to 6-4. I'm going to stay in that division right quick. Cleveland with a big win over Philadelphia. What the fuck is going on in Philadelphia? Cleveland 22, Philadelphia 17. Carson Wentz 21-35, 235, two touches, two picks. Got sacked for a safety in this game. Carson Wentz has regressed. This is not a good season. That's an understatement. And fans in Philadelphia are not having it. They've been calling in Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio all week, calling for the benching of Carson Wentz, calling for Jalen Hurd, the second-round pick out of Alabama. Jalen Hurd, I'm sorry. Jalen Hurd is the off-injured receiver for the San Francisco 49ers who can't stay healthy. Jalen Hurts, the quarterback they drafted out of Alabama who then transferred to Oklahoma. Eagles fans are clamoring for him to get in the game. He's a second-round pick. Why not use him? Carson Wentz has been fucking terrible this season. There's no other way around it. He's not playing good football. And some of that's the protection up front. Some of that's him, the decision-making, poor fundamentals, bad footwork, mechanics all the way off. Some of that's Doug Peterson's play calling. All of it is on the Philadelphia Eagles. And right now, they look like shit. Still miraculously still in first place, tied for first place in the pathetic NFC least. Still have a chance to win that division and host a playoff game, which is a tragedy, which should be against the rules. I just feel like if you finish with a losing record, you shouldn't be able to host a playoff game. Fuck that. You can hang up a banner and say you won your division. You can celebrate, pop some bottles, whatever, do what you got to do. But you should not be allowed to host a first-round playoff game if you have a losing record. That's just the way I feel. Give some credit to Cleveland, though. This is a team that hasn't won anything since, like, I don't know, LeBron. 
I mean, that's a basketball team. It's the Cavaliers. This, the Browns, as an organization, haven't won barely shit since they came back to the NFL in 99. They made the playoffs back in 2001, 2002. Uh, lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card round. That's, that's been it. They went 10-6 in 2010, missed the playoffs. The rest of those years, they've been garbage. Baker Mayfield, 12-22, 204, no touchdowns. Nick Chubb, 20 carries, 114 yards in this game. He had a run. He threw a guy out the way. Grown man move. Now, Cleveland's defense is getting after it. They got a good formula. Just run the ball with Nick Chubb. Limit the amount of throws that Baker Mayfield has to make. Scheme open some some easy passes for him. They borrowed some concepts from Cal Shanahan's offense. Implemented that into what they're doing in Cleveland. And just simplify the game plan for Baker Mayfield so he can limit the amount of mistakes that he makes. Or the potential mistakes that he could make. Just make it easy for him. And it's depending on your running game with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's one of the best running backs in the NFL. It's a simple formula for success. Run game, defense, limit the amount of mistakes your quarterback can make, pick up the W's and move on. That's exactly what they did this Sunday. Cleveland with the victory going to 7-3, second place in the AFC North. A, full, a game ahead of Baltimore, three games behind the 10-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. But who would have thought that this late in the season the Cleveland Browns would be in position to make the playoffs? Salute to them. That team's been through a lot. That fan base has been through a lot. I'm not mad at them. Philadelphia, like I said, a lot of shit to fix. Would Jalen Hurts make them better right now? There's only one way to find out to put him on the field. But I think some of that, it's, it's amazing to see how badly Wentz has fallen off. This guy was playing MVP caliber football a couple of years ago, and now fans are calling in for this dude to get benched. Keep in mind, he carried him to the playoffs last year. These are Philadelphia fans. They don't give a fuck. They booed Santa Claus. That's the history and the reputation of Philadelphia sports fans. They ran every prominent athlete they ever had out of town, pretty much. Barkley, Mike Schmidt back in the day. They ran Iverson out of town after a while. They got tired of him. Randall Cunningham. Maybe you'll add Carson Wentz to the list coming up as the next great Philadelphia athlete ran out of town. The guy who started off great ended up being shit. Let's move on to Sunday night football. Kansas City Chiefs 35, Las Vegas Raiders 31. Absolute shootout. Chiefs were down in this game, but it's no problem for them. They have the best football player in the NFL, the best quarterback walking, living, breathing right now, Patrick Mahomes, the ultimate cheat code, the living legend, first ballot Hall of Famer already. Go ahead and measure him for a gold jacket in Canton, Ohio. He is the truth. Beige, Jesus, whatever you want to call him. The dude is incredible. One of the things I found interesting about this game, there weren't really too many big, deep shots down the field. Oakland did a good job of keeping everything in front of him. But Mahomes showed patience and just took what the defense gave him. He was eating them up. Just carving the Raiders' defense up, taking little passes underneath, moving the chains. Kansas City put together long drives in this game, a lot of 10-play drives in this game, 10 or more plays which you don't often see from Kansas City. Kansas City is usually a quick strike team. They'll have to get you with a, hit you with a three-play, 80-yard drive where you know Ty Hill just caught a bubble screen and went 70 yards and scored or some shit like that. But this game, Mahomes just showing his growth and evolution as a quarterback. He's showing his patience. He's showing he's not always looking for the home run ball. Not every game is going to be like that. Sometimes you got to hit some singles, lay down some buns, steal some bases. you got to manufacture runs as a quarterback in the NFL, and that's what he did all night. And then when the game was on the line, 
he stepped up and showed you that he is, as advertised, the best in the world at what he does. Hits Travis Kelsey wide open in the end zone. Why, is, why was Travis Kelsey wide open? Mahomes is, first of all, the entire play up front gets mushed to the left side of the field. Uh, Mahomes flushed out, not even flushed out of the pocket, he just moves out of the pocket, steps up, and as he steps up, because he's also a running threat, Jonathan Abram, Raiders safety, very good safety, second-year guy, comes up to defend Mahomes in the rush. Mahomes sees that and then flicker the wrist, hits Travis Kelsey wide open in the end zone because Abram is cheating up trying to defend Mahomes in the rush and left Kelsey in the end zone all, all alone by himself. Dual-threat athletic quarterbacks is why I keep preaching all the time on this podcast. That's the type of guys you need. These pocket quarterbacks, these statues, they are relics. It's like a low-post center in the NBA. You're on your way out. You no longer matter. If all you can do is post up and play in the mid-range, just play the back to the basket in the NBA, those guys are on the way out. Pocket quarterbacks in the NFL are on their way out. You still got Brady and Matt Ryan and Drew Brees and guys like that, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, still playing, and for the most part playing at a pretty decent level. Those guys are getting up in age. Ben Roethlisberger, put him on that list too. Those guys are getting up in age on their way out. The future of this game, the current and the present right now, is guys like Patrick Mahomes who can beat you with their arms and their legs and just makes every play that needs to be made from any – it sounds like a broken record. Any launch point, any arm angle. The guys out there, you know, that baseball background means something. Because he's out there throwing passes like a shortstop throwing to first base. It's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, this guy just, and like I said, the evolution, the growth of him as a quarterback. His mental game is catching up to his physical game. He sees the field well. He doesn't try to force anything. When have you ever seen Patrick Mahomes have a shitty game? Like a really bad, like a abysmally just terrible football game. When has he ever is he has he ever had that? Has Mahomes ever had a game where he was like ten of thirty eight, one hundred and twelve yards, four picks and a fumble? He's never really had a game like that. Every game is his worst game. Will throw for like maybe one hundred and ninety, but he'll have like three touchdown passes with that no interceptions. The dude's ridiculous. Raiders put up a valiant effort, great fight. Raiders have played Kansas City better than anyone this season. They're the only team to beat them, number one. They've scored 71 points against the against the Kansas City in two games. 40 points in the first game when they beat them in, in, at Arrowhead Stadium, 31 points on Sunday night. Derek Carr, give him credit. He's raised his level of play. This is a guy, in my opinion, is in the conversation to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Carr on Sunday night. Was 23 of 31 for 275, three touchdowns, and he had a pick late. It was the pick that pretty much ended the game. Overthrew a receiver right into the hands of uh, Sorensen for the Kansas City Chiefs. But other than that, he didn't really make any mistakes. Mahomes, 34 uh, 34 45 for 348, two touchdowns, one pick. One of those touchdowns was the game winner, like I said, to Travis Kelsey. But give, give Derek Carr credit. Give the Raiders credit. This team... I think with Kansas City, a lot of teams are just afraid to play them. Kansas City almost has like this aura of invincibility about them. Psychologically, you can be beaten before the game even starts because you're just worried about everyone they got over there. But give the Raiders credit. Division rivals, they're not going to back down. They're going to give the Raiders, they're going to give Kansas City everything they want and then some. They're going to put up a fight. That's a matchup I would love to see. For the, I would love to see round three in the playoffs, Kansas City and Las Vegas. I would love to see that game. 
it would definitely it would it would be at Arrowhead Stadium and be in Kansas City. But I don't even think the Raiders would give a fuck. I think that's a team that's on the ascent, on the rise right now. You know, the Raiders are the only team in the league that can say they've beaten New Orleans and Kansas City, the top two seeds right now if the playoffs were to start today. So the Raiders ain't nothing to fuck with. That's a team on the rise. Like I said, it's a team to be taken seriously, a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, it's about time Gruden got to figure it out over there. But back to Kansas City, to me, they're the best team in the NFL. And I know Pittsburgh is 10-0. But to me, I almost want to say that's a fraudulent 10-0. Who have they really played? What's Pittsburgh's best win? Baltimore? Baltimore or Cleveland? I mean... Those are the only two wins they have that really stand out to me. Oh, and Tennessee as well. They beat Tennessee back in October 27-24. So I almost, almost want to call Pittsburgh overrated. I almost hesitate to do that. To me, Pittsburgh sort of gives off 2015 Atlanta Hawk vibes. Like, you know, that was the year Atlanta won 60 games at the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I think the best record in the NBA that year. And then went to the NBA Eastern Conference Finals and got swept by LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I look at that as the same dynamic in football right now. I look at Pittsburgh as being 2015 Atlanta, and I look at Kansas City as being the Cavs. I look at Mahomes as being LeBron, like that great equalizer. That guy that no matter what you got over there, no matter how well you're playing, no matter what the scheme is, you have no answer. You can't account for this ultimate equalizer, the ultimate weapon, the great eraser, the guy who just fixes everything, the guy who compensates for everyone else's fuck-ups and failures. You know, if Pittsburgh and Kansas City were to play next week, who'd be the favorite in that game? Regardless of where the game is played at. If they played, I think if they played in Pittsburgh, I think it might even be a push. I think it'd be even. At the most, Pittsburgh would be favored by three points. If they played at Arrowhead, if they played in Kansas City, Chiefs are probably a four-point favorite in that game. You know, there's no disrespect to the the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you don't get the 10-0 by accident. That is a quality football team. Ben playing decently this season, missing some throws down the field, missing some big plays, got a great cast around him. And Juju Smith-Schuster, Dante Johnson had a big game last week versus Jacksonville. And then my man Chase Claypool coming out of Notre Dame already has 10 touchdowns this season. On the defensive side, you look at T.J. Watt, you look at Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, unfortunately, Devin Bush out for the season with a knee, but that's a quality football team on both sides of the ball. I just need to see them prove it first. You know, I'm never going to – one thing about me, I don't go against a champion until someone beats the champion first. So we're forecasting and projecting forward to a, a collision in the AFC Championship game between Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I will lean towards Kansas City in that one, just off what they've already proven, what they've already shown. Um. Now, now, the interesting wrinkle to this, once again, with the new playoff format, is seven teams per conference, but there's only one first-round bye. So whoever gets the number one seed gets the first-round bye. Now, it would behoove Pittsburgh, I think, to get that first round, to hold on and to that first-round bye, to that number one seed, and make Kansas City have to play from the wild-card round. Because then, you know, Kansas City is in a position where they got to play two games to get to the AFC Championship game. Pittsburgh only have to play one. And you never know. Someone could pull an upset. It is football. It's a one-and-done scenario. Any given Sunday, as the old saying goes. So definitely that race to get the number one seed in both conferences is more important this year than ever before. You, you know, The old format was that two teams get a first-round by the first and second seed. This year is only one team 
gets that first round by. So whoever can lock up the number one seed, as it stands right now, it's Pittsburgh in the AFC, New Orleans in the NFC. It would, you know, you got the home field advantage, obviously, but it's a massive advantage in general in terms of you getting to the Super Bowl. You only have to play two games to get there. Uh, another team I don't 100% believe in, I'm not sold on the Green Bay Packers now. Packers currently first place in the NFC North, 7-3 and win-loss record. Lost this Sunday to the Indianapolis Colts. They were up 28-14 in that game. Allow Phillip Rivers to bring the Colts back and win it. I look at the Colts, I look at Green Bay the same way I look at Pittsburgh. Like, who have you really beaten? Green Bay's best win on the season? I'm looking at the schedule right now. Well, it's New Orleans. They beat New Orleans on a Sunday night game 37-30, but that was September 27th, early in the season. Other than that, you got wins against Detroit. Detroit is, first of all, Detroit just got shut out uh, this past weekend versus Carolina. How the fuck does that happen? You get shut out versus a team that gave up 46 points last week. You come in there and throw up a donut. That's garbage. Matt Patricia should be fired. Should have been fired already. The Green Bay barely struggled to beat Jacksonville. You know, they destroyed San Francisco, but that was the COVID-19 49ers. Half the squad was in quarantine, hooked up to a ventilator. Game probably shouldn't even have been played. I digress. Dalvin Cook came in and ran all over him a couple weeks ago. You know, they had a little little bit of a struggle with Houston a few weeks ago when they got destroyed by Tampa Bay 38-10 to after being up 10-0, gave up 38 unanswered points to close that game out. So I look at the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP caliber level. I'll say that right now. Um, Rodgers, to me, is the second-best quarterback in the NFL, and I'll, I'll have a podcast about that later in the week, about uh, my opinion of the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL as of right now this season. Aaron Rodgers, you know, if you took away Patrick Mahomes, Rodgers would probably be the MVP of the league this year. As Russell Wilson has fallen off a little bit with turnovers. So, yeah, Rodgers, to me, without Mahomes in the mix, will be the front-runner for league MVP. He carries that team. Uh, defensively, they don't really scare me. Like I said, Dalvin Cook had like four rushing touchdowns against him a couple weeks ago. Um, they still haven't figured out how to stop the run game. Remember, Raheem Mostert ran all over him twice last year with the, with the 49ers. Devontae Adams is the pretty much the only real weapon you got to account for in the receiving game. you got Aaron Jones at the backfield as a running back. He's a great player. But there's something about Green Bay that screams pretender to me. Like, I don't really believe... That's a team that has the fitness to go all the way. You know, maybe it's the defense. They're 16th right now in points allowed, 12th in yards, 13th in pass yards, 16th in passing touchdowns, 13th in rushing touchdowns, 20th, I'm sorry, 13th in rushing yards, 20th in rushing touchdowns, and red zone touchdowns are 14th, 17th in overall touchdowns, time of possession number one. But it's the defense. And long-term, Aaron Rodgers, as great as he's playing right now, he does have a history of fading in the playoffs. I mean, you can look look at his performance last year in the NFC Championship game versus San Francisco. He threw two picks, had three fumbles, one was lost. 2016 NFC Championship game versus Atlanta, he was terrible in that game. 2014 versus Seattle, also terrible in that game. And they lost all three of those games. So as great as Aaron Rodgers is during the regular season, he has a propensity to kind of fold and falter down the stretch and into January. So, and with you know as high as as high of a level as Rodgers is playing right now, he he has to play at a high level every week. 
I think for Green Bay to really contend because that defense is up and down. It's not a lights-out defense. They're not stopping anybody. Even in games they win, they will give up points. Most of the early in the season, they got our big leads. They gave up some, some points and, and yards and garbage time. But, you know, they've shown all season long they can be had. Um, so, yeah, defense and, and Rodgers' overall longevity throughout the course of the season are why I'm just shaky with, with Green Bay uh, long term. 7-3 right now. They're going to win that division. And NFC North is terrible. Uh, like I said, Detroit just got shut out last week. They're they're, they're a non-factor. Um, you know, you look at the Bears. The Bears lost three in a row. They play each other this Sunday night too, on uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC. And then you look at the Minnesota Vikings. They got off to a terrible start. As the team's also going nowhere this season, so the, yeah, the NFC North being com- complete trash will allow Green Bay to win that division comfortably. But as far as Making a run in the playoffs, I just don't see it with them. Moving on, the Seattle Seahawks and those baby shit green jerseys last Thursday night took care of the Arizona Cardinals 28-21. Russell Wilson has been a turnover machine the past few weeks, played a clean game. Uh, safe but efficient, 23-28, buck 97, two touches. At about 10, 10 carries, 42 yards in that game. Um... You know, good win for Seattle, as much as I hate to say that. There's two teams I hate, but Arizona be the lesser of two evils. But uh, Arizona took game one a few weeks ago on Sunday night versus, uh, on NBC versus Seattle. So Seattle naturally comes back and gets their payback on this game on Thursday night. Uh, no no Chris Carson in this game. Carlos Hyde, former 49ers, started a running back in this team for this game. Had 79 yards rushing. Not really a whole lot, but that's kind of been Carlos Hyde's whole career. It's kind of just nothing. DK Metcalf quiet most of the night. Had three three catches, 46 yards. Uh, got the better of Patrick Peterson a few times, including the 41-yard pass that was negated to a holding penalty. Tyler Lockett, nine catches, 67 yards. Had a nice toe-drag catch in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. You know, this is a blown opportunity for Arizona. If they had won this game, they would have taken over first place in the NFC West. Losing the game, they fall to third place. Rams now sitting in first place in that division. They have a tiebreaker over the Seahawks due to beating them two weeks ago. Uh, sitting in fourth place are the San Francisco 49ers at 4-6. and six. Coming out of a bye week. So last week was a stress-free week of watching football for me. Didn't have to worry about the 49ers going out there and getting embarrassed like they had the past three weeks. Taking on the Rams this Sunday. We already beat the Rams once, so that means they always won. I'm looking at a 4-7 and seven after this Sunday. But uh, I think three teams in that division will get in. I think um, the Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals all have a good shot at getting in. Look at the, the landscape of the NFC playoffs. The NFC lease is only going to put one team in because it's such an embarrassing joke of a division. Uh, you look at the NFC North, I see the Packers getting in, and that's it. You look at the NFC South, New Orleans and Tampa will make it. And then the NFC West, like I said, Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals will all make it. So that's seven spots available, one from the East, one from the North, two from the South, three from the West. Those are your seven playoff teams, as I see it right now. Anything can happen, but I think, the only thing that will really be determined going forward is the seeding. I think the seven playoff teams from the NFC are set as is. I don't really see any other team that's in the hunt on the outside looking in right now making it 
into the top seven. I think those seven teams are set in stone. Only question is, what seed will they be? Uh, just to wrap it up, in week 11, uh, probably the worst thing that happened this week was Joe Burrow's injury going against the uh, Washington football team. Um, saw the hit. I was watching NFL Red Zone so I could watch every game at once. You know, they cut to Cincinnati and Washington. You see him just get sandwiched in between two players like Jonathan. Jonathan Allen fell on his leg, got trapped in between two other players in the grounds, got bent in an awkward direction. In a way, he's not supposed to go. His kneecap came out for a visit almost. You can see his kneecap pop out. It looked like his kneecap was doing a Harlem shake. It was ugly. Uh, you knew it immediately based on his reaction, how he was on the ground writhing in pain, couldn't get up. Brought the card out to take him off off the field. Uh, came out yesterday towards ACL, MCL. It looked like he took a lot of L's in that play. Uh, that's the first thing I said when I saw it. I was like, every L in his knee is gone. He collected a lot of L's on one play. Uh, structural damage to the knee. You're talking about he's definitely out for the rest of the season. That's obvious. And could, could potentially be out the first two or three games of 2021. Carson Wentz had a similar injury. In 2017, the year the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, and he missed the first two games in 2018. Uh, so you look at the amount of damage that was done with Burrow's injury and it happening in November. I mean, it's slated right now for a nine, nine to 12-month recovery time uh, to come back from this injury at somewhere near 100%. Now, you wish him all the best. Joe Burrow was putting together a rookie of the year type season. So it's a shame. It's always a shame to see a guy get hurt. It's especially a shame to see a good young quarterback get hurt. But that's that curse that comes with playing in Cincinnati and this team. And, you know, you saw it happen to Carson Palmer back in 05. Playoff game versus Pittsburgh. Kimo Van Alhoffen fell on his leg. Threw a touchdown pass on that play to uh, Chad Johnson. And, you know, Cincinnati was up in that game, but then they went on to lose it. That was the year Pittsburgh went on that run and culminating in the victory in Super Bowl Forty. But uh, for Burrow, it was ugly when, when it happened. You saw it. It looked bad. CBS didn't even show the replay of the game. Didn't show the replay of the injury. Uh, gives you a kind of a sense of how ugly it was, the way his leg got caught and folded underneath and bent backwards. Um, so you hate to see that. Like I said, Burrow was putting together a great season, getting better and better by the week, establishing, an, establishing a nice rapport with T. Higgins, uh, their other rookie they took in the first and took in the second round. But you're kind of worried about this all year long. Cincinnati's offensive line was always a problem. If you're going to draft a franchise quarterback like Burrow, you got to not only surround him with good skill position players, you got to first and foremost put a quality offensive line in front of him. If this guy's going to be the future of your team, the face of your franchise, you got to protect him. you got to get a quality offensive line in front of him. And Cincinnati's offensive line all season long has been awful. And it's been something that a lot of people are worried about and a lot of people's worst nightmares came to fruition unfortunately last Sunday in Landover so it's tough to see a guy like Burrow go out wishing him a speedy recovery uh, another rookie quarterback that had a rough day last Sunday was uh, Tua Tungavailoa from the Miami Dolphins Tua went 11 of 20 83 yards one touchdown and got sacked six times for 33 yards he was eventually benched in the third quarter of that game for Ryan Fitzpatrick Fitz came in with 12 of 18, 117 yards, only one score. Miami's offense was stuck in the mud all game versus Denver, which uh, was part of the reason why Tua got benched. He just, you know, I feel shitty about this. I feel stupid almost. I'm, I, I get mad when I try to support a team and big them up, talk them up, how good they are and everything, and they come out the next week and just shit to bed. That's what Miami did this week. That was a game 
you know, if you're going to take that next step forward for the Miami Dolphins, if you're going to assert yourself as a team to be reckoned with, you got to win a game like that. I know it's on the road. I know it's in Denver with the altitude and everything. But, you know, for a young team trying to make a name for themselves, if you're going to take that next step forward. you got to win games like this. And they didn't. They went out here. They went out there to Denver and just laid down. I want so much. I mean, maybe laying down isn't the best way to put it. Denver still has a pretty decent defense. Uh, their pass rush through two quarters, facing two, was getting pressure on 44.4% of his dropbacks. Bradley Chubb had seven to Denver's 23 total pressures. None of his teammates surrendered more than 50 yards in coverage. Uh, they got a strong running game with Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay combined for a buck 66. Two scores rushing the football. Drew Locke wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Just hand off and not fuck up. And he did a pretty good job of that this week. But, uh, you know, I tried to big up the Buc- uh, the Miami Dolphins and say that they're a team on the rise. And they still are. They're still, you know, this isn't the end of their season. But uh, I mentioned last week, most of Tua's production comes on yards after the catch. 71.8 yards after the catch he's averaging coming into this game last Sunday. So most of that's just dink and dunk, short passes, only reading one half of the field. And his receivers doing the work for him after the catch. Denver mixed up their coverages, gave him, showed some different looks to him last Sunday, and you saw the results. He was terrible and ended up getting benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's that's pretty complicated because Ryan Flores made the decision to bench Fitzpatrick in favor of Tua, and Tua led Miami to a 3-0 streak, including the victory over Arizona in Arizona. You know, but then he follows that up with a terrible and abysmal performance versus Denver Broncos. Now you can go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick in the same game you know, Fitz was heartbroken after losing his job prematurely. A lot of people thought a few weeks ago to Tua, Brian Flores made the executive decision to insert Tua into the lineup and go 3-0, and as I said. Now he plays one bad game, or at least not, not even a complete game, a bad three quarters, and you go to, back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you're kind of juggling quarterbacks down there in Miami. I don't know how, how that's going to play long term, but Brian Flores – Done a great job all season long. To me, he's the leader in the clubhouse for being NFL head coach of the year. You can talk about either him or Mike Tomlin in that regard. Either way, it's a black coach, so I support it. Uh, but as for this week, Miami took the L 20-13 to the Devon Broncos and dropped a 6-4 and four in the regular season, still in the playoff hunt. Uh, marked improvement over where that team was a year ago. Looking ahead now to week 12, getting started this Thursday on Thanksgiving. You got Houston versus Detroit. Shit. You got the Washington football team versus Dallas garbage. Uh, th- then the nightcap on NBC. You got Pittsburgh and Baltimore. This time taking place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, once again, it's a must-win for the Baltimore Ravens. You know Pittsburgh is a ten and zero. They're pretty much in cruise control to go win the AFC North. Baltimore needs that win to stay in the AFC playoff picture. It's not looking good for them right now. Desperately got to come out with a W on Thanksgiving night. Those first two games are fucking terrible. The NFL got to do better than that. I mean, I know it's tradition for Dallas and Detroit to play every Thanksgiving, but come on, man. Y'all got to do better than that. Houston versus Detroit, Dallas versus Washington, nah, I'm good. You know, this is why I always said that Thanksgiving football is grossly overrated. The NBA, Christmas Day NBA is way better than Thanksgiving the NFL. It's a different conversation for a different day, though. But nine times out of ten, the Thanksgiving football games are fucking trash. You can attribute that to Detroit and Dallas always being on Thanksgiving. I know it's tradition, but that tradition sucks. But one more thing before I go. Week 11, P.J. Walker had a great game for the Carolina Panthers. The dude played in the XFL. 
and got his first opportunity to play in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater out this week. P.J. Walker, salute to that brother doing well. First NFL start win over the Detroit Lions, so salute to him. Uh, but that's it, uh, NFL Week 11, 2020 in the books. Week 12 getting started on Thanksgiving, as I said. Uh, that concludes this episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Picture me rolling. I'm out.